National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. The national response to tragic gun violence in recent weeks, including mass shootings at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, and a hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma, have fallen along predictable party lines. The U.S. bishops and many Catholic voices have responded in ways that address both policy issues related to gun access as well as other cultural factors. Register senior editor Jonathan Liedel will report on what he calls the both-and Catholic response to this national crisis. But first, we turn to a church leader who more than 20 years ago was a part of the first Catholics to respond to the mass shooting at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. Jim Beckman was a part of the youth ministry team at St. Francis Cabrini Church, and he now shares how a mass shooting in his town changed the way he did ministry forever. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, who is EWTN News' Executive Editor in Washington, D.C., Jim Beckman has been involved with diocesan and parish ministry and evangelization and leadership development for more than 30 years, and he's currently the executive director of evangelization and catechesis for the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. Uh, Jim and his wife, Meg, have five children, and they live in Oklahoma City, Um, but many years ago, Jim lived in, in Littleton. Um, I met him there when I worked uh, for the Archdiocese of Denver. Uh, Jim, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, it's good to be here with you. You know, at that time, um, you were somewhat legendary, at least in my world, (laughs) um, for your work in in youth ministry. Uh, You helped bring the Steubenville Youth Conferences on the road um, to youth throughout the country. I'm from Louisiana, so I remember uh, those conferences being in Alexandria and, um, and also oh, there no. in, Den- in Denver. But, um, you know, I just remember also your training of youth ministers um, for, you know, in their work to just help equip them better to do their jobs. And uh, I was interested to find out um, not too long ago, I was just kind of researching different responses from Catholics over mass shootings and your a podcast that you did with um, uh, friends at Ascension Press um, several years ago popped up, and mm-hmm. I listened to it, and it was all about um, how that, that tragedy uh, at Columbine helped to kind of change your approach to ministry. I was so, I was, in, I was enthralled. Uh, what happened? Um, what happened when you were at St. Francis Cabrini uh, Parish? Well, it was, uh, I mean, obviously the tragedy had pretty dramatic impact on the parish community and and the wider community. We, I think, found ourselves in a unique situation. I I had started about a year, year and a half before then, and, uh, you know, came came onto the scene and just started recruiting adults and building a team of people. Uh, And in some ways, we had way more adults than than what Mm -hmm. we needed for the number of teenagers that were involved. but as you started sharing a vision for how to how to reach kids and how to accompany them and walk with them uh, in conversion, it it just was inspiring, and a lot of adults wanted to be a part of it. Some of them parents, but a lot of other adults as well, and young young adults, college students. We just we built a great community that first year and a half with just uh, a, a ton of adults that 
you know, kind of had a heart for kids, but loved being with each other and building community together, which that, that's something we all learned how to do out at Franciscan. Uh, mm-hmm. Like my, my whole experience at household with household life on campus is what kind of gave me a vision for that kind of what people are longing for. So it, it was just kind of interesting when the Columbine shooting happened. Um, I, I've had people all the time who ask me like, how, how did you guys know what to do? And it's like, I don't, I don't think we knew what to do. We just were there. If, if that makes sense, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think there was anything uh, genius about what we did. I, I, I think I was just in the right place at the right time, even though it was tragic circumstances, we, but we had inspired a, a whole group of adults to start living their faith in a more radical way, uh, sharing life together praying with each other, walking with each other, in a particular way, wanting to reach the young people in our community, both at our parish and beyond. Right. So, so when, when the Columbine shooting happened, we, we, just, we just happened to be ready with, with a whole group of mobilized people that were ready for action, so to speak. And, and with, if I remember, you know, you were so close to this, uh, the shooting to the high school uh, that, you know, people heard shots, they called you, you came, um, you, you kind of went to the school um, to, to do what you could to comfort yeah, very, people. To... Very, very, well, very stupidly, I would say. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I knew what I was thinking, because I, I, I got a phone call in my office within minutes of the shooting starting. And I just jumped in a car and raced down to the school like I was going to somehow be able to stop it. Hmm. Uh, but I, I got within the perimeter that the police had established at a certain point where they weren't letting any other traffic come into that area. So I, I literally was on the street right by it, right in front of the high school and couldn't get into the school parking lot. But I pulled into the neighborhood across the street. And when I got out of my car, you could hear... Uh, gunshots and glass breaking and kids were just running crazy across the street and into the neighborhood. And the street that I was on, as, as you walked down the street, you saw kid after kid, some of them bleeding and some of them injured, you know, on sheets or blankets on somebody's driveway and people doing first aid with them. You know, like it, it, it was, it was surreal. Like the whole, the, the neighborhood across the street from the high school became like a triage unit in, in, a, in a war scene. Uh, so it was, it was very bizarre. Right. And so as you um, began to figure out what you could do, it's, it sounds like you helped to connect uh, parents with the, their students, um, uh, you know, their, their children who were students. You, yeah, exactly. you got a list of the people um, within your parish that you knew had students at the school and just really went down that list. And one of the things I remembered hearing uh, you or another youth minister say, you were surprised by how many people you didn't know. So how did this right. experience, you know, of, of um, having this tragedy happen in your backyard help change your ministry, Jim? Well, I, th- I think that was probably the biggest impact was we we recognized how many of these young people were actually listed families in our parish, but we never saw them participate. And we realized that we actually had no tangible relational connection to them at all. So it, it, it just shifted the way that we were approaching not only ministry to the to the teenagers, but to the parents, the whole families. Uh, over, over those next several weeks, our, our parish became kind of the hub central 
in the, in the Littleton area. Like we, we had sometimes a thousand people all day long just at the church. We, we were serving meals three times a day. We had 10, 15 counselors in different rooms all over the parish doing counseling sessions and small group sessions and ministering to parents and ministering to kids. And, you know, we, we obviously had the immediate response of just caring for people over the, over the next three to four weeks and planning funerals and those kinds of things. But our, I, I think our immediate response, which pretty much involved daily prayer services and times of Eucharistic adoration and worship, worship gatherings and lots of meals, that actually was a springboard into ongoing. Like our, our, our youth ministry probably doubled in size e- easily, and we would sometimes have three and 400 kids showing up on a Sunday night for one of our regular youth group meetings, you know, three, four, or five months later. Uh, so I, I think that was the big change for us was we had, we had a big, we had a big response of just being present and being a, being a place where people could come and be with each other. But the long-term effect of that was they kept coming. Uh, and, it, it, it was a huge surge in growth for us in the in the overall ministry. And what I'm hearing is that community, just real community, eating together, uh, sharing their pain, uh, sharing that moment together in a consistent um, and patterned way was was really what they needed and what they realized they needed in an ongoing way. And that's that's really quite beautiful. This is Register Radio. Uh, we've been talking to Jim Beckman about uh, the Columbine High School shooting many years ago. He was at St. Francis Parish, who had a, a huge response, um, a neighboring parish, and had a huge response to, to the, uh, the tragedy there. Jim, how do you respond today, you know, when you, or what are, you, what are your thoughts today when you see the polarization that just takes place after each mass shooting. I mean, and, and it, they, they've just, they keep coming, these shootings. Um, it's tragic. Uh, and, you know, the same polarization, I remember it back then. I wasn't in Denver at the time, but I, in fact, I was in oh, yeah, Rome. Very, I was living in right. Rome, fascinating with the, the discussions going on in the U.S. over this. Um, what, what do you say to this polarization? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I... You can't solve those bigger problems and the way people are so heated and passionate about their unique perspective. Uh, I, I loved how you started out the, this this section with it's both and. Um, I, I don't think there's any one solution to to this problem. It, you know, it's not like we can pass some laws to regulate gun control and it's going to take away these kinds of shootings. I, I, I think you you have to step back and ask the question. In a society where you have sometimes even teenagers who are taking guns like these, like these Columbine students did, taking guns to school and shooting their own classmates, that, 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 that's not actually a gun control issue. Like that, that's a moral fabric issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that somebody could become so uh, removed from understanding the dignity of the human person and understanding themselves and what they're called to be as a human being and, and could decline to that kind of violence. Like that, that's a huge problem. That's, that's, I I think indicative of 
a, a culture and a society that keeps wanting to remove itself from religion, uh, marginalize the presence of God and and faith. You know, like you, it, it's kind of these these things keep happening because right. we want to be a world that's completely detached from God, but then we want to be able to be angry when people do evil things because they don't have God in their life, uh, right. and you just can't you can't have both things, you know. Right. It really brings me back to, to, you know, how I plan to kind of conclude this segment. And, and it's a question because I think it relates to what you, you know, have been doing now for 30 years in, in your ministry. It's um, it's an apostolate that, you know, first started off with the kind of direct working with the parish communities, but, uh, but then really helping others um, to lead. Jim, what is it that um, you try to impart on those that you that that you sort of train or teach or coach or encourage um, as they go out in the ministry? What can we do? Um, how do we respond to this needy world? I think at the heart of all conversion is encounter with Christ. You, you, you gotta you gotta meet Him and allow that encounter to just completely transform you from the inside out. Uh, and then you, you you can't grow and change and transform into who God really wants us to be without other people helping us. You know, mm-hmm. uh, saints and saints throughout the history of the church never come as lone rangers or maverick. You know, like they're they're bands of brothers and bands of sisters. And uh, so I, I don't know. I'm just a big believer in. You, you, you got to help people have an authentic encounter with Jesus, the person of Christ. And you, you got to build little communities where they can share life together and even share their struggles and poverties with each other so that real transformation can take place. And, and ultimately, that leads to great gifts in somebody's life that they just hunger and long to give away to other people. That, that that is what I've done for over thirty years. Everywhere I go, I just try to be a, an agent of that kind of change in, in whatever place God puts me. That's right, and I think that's um, it's a great reminder for all of us. You know, we're in the news ministry, news news industry. I guess if it, you know, in in a way, it's a ministry too. But if we're not rooted in prayer um, and have our priorities straight in that way, it, it's the same. You know, the same problem. Our effectiveness is it just can't be there because we're not connected um, uh, to the tree of life. And um, you know, I, I'm also reminded as we've been talking. Of, uh, of another uh, person who experienced, sadly, uh, the tragedy of a mass shooting, Jennifer Hubbard, whose daughter was was killed in the Sandy Hook shooting on the other, uh, you know, other side of the country. And she told us, you know, just recently how important it is in this time to just continue to grieve with the people who are grieving and, and not to forget them, um, you know, weeks, just weeks later, that, that they need that... Um, that touch, that meal, that, that, um, uh, just a simple hug, <laughs> you know, um, in, for months and months and months after tragedy. And, um, and I think we have to remember those people who are suffering in that way too, um, in our prayers. Uh, Jim Beckman, it's, it's great to connect again. Um, I'm a, f- a big, huge fan al- always of your work and, um, and, and yeah, I appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeanette. 
When we come back, we hear from Jonathan Liedel with reporting on the both and Catholic approach to gun violence. This is Register Radio. More when we return. Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. And we've been talking with Jim Beckman about one Catholic response to a mass shooting and how a community helped provide a path for healing. I'm joined now by Jonathan Liedel, a Register Senior Editor, to discuss the U.S. Bishop's response to the latest mass shootings in the U.S. Jonathan, welcome back to Register Radio. Good to be with you, Jeanette. So you recently wrote an article uh, at ncregister.com, and it's titled Catholic Leaders Urge a Both-And Response to a Spate of Mass Shootings. Uh, You outline in that how the national conversation uh, after the violence in Buffalo, Uvalde, and in Tulsa, Oklahoma, has fallen along political lines, with Republicans focused on social and familial breakdowns as a root cause of the problem, and then Democrats blaming lax gun laws. Uh, The U.S. bishops have had a much less partisan response. That's what you wrote about. So what have they said? I think, uh, as you pointed out, both political parties kind of have uh, a set of issues that they want to talk about and then also not talk about the other party's set of issues, if you will. So the bishops seem to be taking this both-and approach where their their goal is to consider all the relevant factors. And this came out in a letter that was sent by the head of four USCCB committees, uh, the heads of them to uh, all members of Congress. Uh, so that includes... Uh, Archbishop Paul Oakley of Oklahoma City, Coakley of uh, Oklahoma City, Bishop Thomas Daly of Spokane, Washington, Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and then also Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, who's certainly been in the news a lot lately, right. um, from the Archdiocese of San Francisco. And so what the bishops are, what they said in their letter, in fact, they cited a, a USCCB document from 1994 that said, we have to address simultaneously declining family life and the increasing availability of deadly weapons. So for the bishops, it seems to be, you know, not an either or, like you can only pick sort of one approach when it comes to uh, policy and social issues to address in terms of these mass shootings that we see. But they're saying we need to address both. Uh, in fact, both are interconnected. Uh, and this is something recent comments by Bishop Daniel Flores of Brownsville kind of uh, drew out, uh, that if we are living in a society where 
so many people grow up in broken families, uh, you know, whether it's divorce or abuse or trauma or all these kinds of things that are prevalent in American life right now. Uh, people are, um, you know, they're despairing. People are right. disconnected from community. They're disconnected from a sense of purpose and meaning in their lives. And this is a common factor in, you know, all of these shootings and other shootings we've seen over the past couple of decades, uh, that there is that social factor. But they seem to be saying, well, if that is the case, if this is the status quo of our society right now, if there are so many people coming from these broken settings, uh, are the gun laws that, that we had in place maybe decades ago that are fairly lax, certainly lax compared to other developed countries, does it really make sense uh, if, if we are in such a broken society to have um, especially these, these deadlier weapons that people focus on, so so-called assault weapons, um, which tend to, tend to be semi-automatic and have higher capacity, uh, magazine capacity. Um, yeah, so I think they're really, it's just a, it's a very different perspective than you'll get for, from either political party because they're saying, uh, yes, there are sorts of two dimensions to this problem and we need to address both. Right. You know, Bishop Flores that you mentioned, and, and he's down in Brownsville, Texas, He his tweet kind of caught a lot of people by surprise. And you just articulated what his full meaning was. But I mean, he sent a tweet out almost immediately and he said, don't tell me that guns aren't the problem. People are. I'm sick of hearing it. But then he goes on to say the darkness first takes our children who then kill our children using the guns that are easier to obtain than aspirin. We sacralize death's instruments and then are surprised that death uses them. That's a really powerful statement, you know. And, um, and yet we sometimes, you know, from whatever side we come from, we only hear one part of that tweet, you know, and, and often... Mm. I said national conversation in the in the intro, and I mean, there's no conversation. People are just yelling at each other. I mean, that's that's how we are right now in terms of quote unquote national debate. Nobody listens. Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Just this deep seated partisanship and polarization, right? Which is something that we've highlighted at the Register over the years. How we really are at a unique moment in American history where where both sides are so polarized. There seems to be such little common ground. Um, I talked to Brad Wilcox at the University of Virginia, who's a sociologist focusing on on family issues and how they're connected often to these kinds of shootings. And, you know, he said, for instance, that, um, that progressives are allergic uh, to even, that was his quote, allergic, I don't know if it's a medical term, but they're, you know, <laughs> when, when you bring up issues of the family uh, and, and stability and formation or even healthy masculinity, uh, one whole side of the aisle doesn't want to have that conversation because it means calling into question certain things, lifestyle choices, certain moral uh, dimensions and aspects that they've pushed over the years. And then, as you pointed out, with Bishop Flores, uh, yeah, I think he a very passionate kind of tweet coming from from a bishop, but but he's also saying, you know, and he expanded in further comments, we can't treat, you know, the right to bear arms, the Second Amendment, as something so sacrosanct, right? Like so sacred that we can't even have a discussion about what sort of prudential meaning uh, reform of our regulations might look like. Uh, so, you know, sacred cows, if you will, on either side of the debate, that when we kind of prioritize those over the common good, um, it, it really doesn't allow for, for a, a comprehensive, meaningful and fruitful uh, conversation, let alone policy solutions. 
Right. And, and I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I'm, I don't own a gun. My family, many of my family hunt, they own guns. My dad was a military man. You know, I'm very uh, used to um, accepting uh, that, that guns in, in a household, especially for self-defense or for, for hunting, right? But Jonathan, in your experience, as you wrote this story and the conversations you've had, can you see any I guess, um, policy ways out or, or, or successful conversations happening? Yeah, I think, well, it is interesting because, uh, you know, when we talk about sort of access to guns and regulations, those are things that hypothetically, you know, policies and law pass, uh, laws passed can have an immediate effect on. Whereas the other side of it, which is the, the social, cultural, family questions, those are so deep-rooted, deep-rooted and those are such a product of, laws and cultural changes over the past 50 years that it, it's not always clear, right? There's like a difference in, you know, one just seems more immediate and easily uh, addressable um, than the other one. Uh, but, and the bishops, you know, again, they took this both end approach. So they, they insisted, right, that just changing laws are not going to solve the problem. Changing gun laws are not going to solve the problem. Their quote is, while strength in gun laws could reduce mass casualty events, not even the most effective gun laws by themselves will suffice to address the roots of these violent attacks in our country. So they're they're not uh, you know ignoring the deep rooted causes that you know psychological issues, family issues, social issues that underlie uh, this crisis. They're certainly not ignoring it. I think in their letter they do call for. However, um, uh, legislators to support some measures that are currently before Congress that relate to gun control. So two separate uh, background check uh, pieces of legislation um, that would universalize background checks. They've also in the past uh, promoted um, what are called, uh, we know them as kind of red flag laws. The more formal term for them is extreme risk protection orders. So when someone is sort of exhibiting um, you know, behaviors or factors that are consistent with what, with what we've seen from some of these mass shooters, the government has the, the ability to intervene and uh, to confiscate their firearms for, for a period of time. Uh, so, though, and, you know, according to what I'm reading today and what I'm seeing, uh, because there is a measure before the Senate right now uh, that has to do with background checks, it actually does seem uh, like there might be the possibility for uh, a bipartisan compromise on on a, a solution there. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't, um, certainly partisanship and polarization uh, are a constant uh, problem in our country uh, and maybe the tragedies, multiple tragedies that we've experienced in, in recent weeks related to gun violence uh, might be a catalyst for uh, some bipartisan uh, collaboration here. Well, obviously, cooler and calmer heads uh, prevail, and I hope that um, we can be attentive and and have the conversations that need to be need to be had to find solutions, even the deeper ones. Jonathan, I appreciate your reporting and, and your insights. And uh, for our listeners, I invite you to go to ncregister.com for more news, analysis, and commentary. Thanks so much for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For my producer, Jeff Burson, and myself, Jeanette DeMello, until next week, may God bless you.